Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Marcy Grossman was appointed Ambassador of Canada to the United Arab Emirates in October 2019 with a three-year mandate that wraps up this year. Prior to her arrival in Abu Dhabi, she held other roles within the UAE and was notably responsible for the creation of Canada's foreign direct investment agency, Invest in Canada. Prior to assuming her role in the United Arab Emirates, she served across the United States. During her tenure in the U.S., she was responsible for representing a wide range of Canadian business, political, academic, consular, immigration, and public safety interests. She also closed several large-scale foreign investment deals in cities across Canada. Before joining Canada's Foreign Service, Marcy held management positions in numerous federal government departments, and she began her career in the criminal justice system. Well, welcome, Marcy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I want to start with talking about what does life look like for you right now? Well, Stephanie, I'm very uh, excited to share with you that life is incredible right now. I am very blessed to have an incredible job as Canada's ambassador to the UAE at a very, very special time not only in the Canada-UAE relationship, but also in the where UAE sits in the world. And I, um, yeah, I am also just completing um, or soon to be completing uh, this assignment here and uh, getting ready for a new adventure. And I feel like everything is um, coming together very nicely. That's really exciting. So in the Foreign Service in Canada, you go abroad for a few years, then you're brought home for a few years. Is that correct? Typically, that's the case. Okay. I actually lateraled into the Foreign Service sort of mid or actually a third into my career. And I made a career out of never going back to headquarters. So I left headquarters uh, about sort of six months into my first gig at an organization that was then co-managed by um, Industry Canada and the Department of Foreign Affairs. And I got a posting uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I converted that into a 15 year career in the US at four different missions. And I was dragged back to Canada <laughs> and screaming back to headquarters and spent two actually really important years uh, in my career in Ottawa from 2016 to 2018. And then I was out again. So I've spent okay. 20, 20 of my 22 years in the foreign service abroad. Okay, so do you know, will you be coming back to Canada after this posting or is that, we don't know yet? I don't know. Okay, well, that's exciting and nerve wracking, I'm sure at the same time. I want to jump more into your career, but before we do that, I want to ask you, what motivates you to live your best life? So I think for me at a very early age, I realized that service is what motivated me and it's why I joined the public service. And that is why I've spent my entire career in the public service. I was never motivated by money. I was never, although I like to make money to have things, but it wasn't <laughs> uh, my main reason for getting up in the morning. It was really about service. And I actually started my career in federal corrections. Wow, I'm a okay. criminal psychologist by training. Oh, and um, that was my first love and my first real a passion that was the kind of service I want to do I wanted to work with um, uh, youth at risk I wanted to work in the prison system I was very fascinated by rehabilitation and incarceration and that that what was the first part of service but there's always been this passion for public service which is why I have continued my career uh, for for so long in the public service very interesting how how has that, that first job working in corrections and having the education that you did helped you in the job that you have now? Right, so I think a uh, most people think because I went to Carleton, like you did, right? Yes. Yes, 
I went to Carleton and I work in the Foreign Service. Everybody assumes that I studied at the Norman Patterson School of uh, International Affairs. Yes. However, I did not, as I said, I was in psychology and people uh, always make that mistake. But the reason I didn't take political science while I was at Carleton was basically because I thought it was science and I wasn't good at science. Right. <laughs> so that's the kind of a going joke. So I, um, so I would say that psychology, human behavior, relationships, interactions, connectivity are fundamental to everything we do in life. And I think it just provides me a strong basis for being able to be a good manager, a good leader, uh, make connections in the world, et cetera. I really think there's so much value. And you're an example of that, of you know people getting education in certain area and, and being able to work in other fields or working in a job for a while and then switching jobs like you, you have as well and, and how that actually benefits your career and how it's developed you. Mm-hmm. I wanna walk through your personal and professional milestones that get you to where you are today as the mm-hmm. ambassador of Canada to the, to the UAE. You've already covered some of it. Um, right. so what would you add to your story? Well, as I mentioned, I, my first passion was corrections and my big dream was to work in the big house. So federal corrections. So that's where I started my career and I spent the first 10 years of my career there. As I developed as an employee and then to a manager, I actually had the fortune of being selected for a management or an executive training program. It was called the CAP program. Uh, It doesn't exist anymore, the career assignment program. And basically it was a five-year program where you had to change your job every single year to take a different management experience in a different department of the public service And at the end, if you passed your executive exams, you would become an executive. And I think for me, this moving and changing of um, workplaces uh, became actually a cornerstone of my career. I've never actually worked anywhere other than that. I've never actually had any one job for longer than four years, ever, ever. And mostly on average, it's about sort of two and a half to three years. So the first move I made out of corrections, which was to go to a different government department and have this totally different experience, really prepared me with a lot of skills that I think are really essential to this modern workforce, which is agility, able to um, uh, adapt quickly, able to understand a new uh, culture and a new set of activities quickly. So I think for me, after after having changed my job, and imagine you're on a management program, so you have to get, you know, acquainted with your job in the first X, like weeks even, (laughs) be performing at high level before you even leave. So you start to build these amazing muscles for how to like develop and act and be very, very action oriented. So I think that was, that has really defined my career. And then as I moved into the, Foreign service, as I mentioned, I changed, even there, I changed my job a lot more often than uh, what was normal. So I, you know, every two and a half to three and a half to four years, I would change my position again. So, yeah, so that's it. And uh, as I said, uh, four postings in the US, always in the trade field. So focused in economic development, uh, international trade and uh, finally landing uh, the big ambassador job as, as my last and final posting, which has been incredible. Amazing. What, you're making me think about um, what languages do you speak? I don't actually speak that many. I speak French and English. I learned Spanish when I was consul general in Miami. It was actually necessary to be able to speak Spanish there. So my Spanish is not so bad. I speak a little, and because of my French, it was easy to, to learn that. I speak a little bit of Hebrew, uh, but that's about it. I don't have a lot of languages. You shouldn't discount yourself. That is a lot of languages. <laughs> well, compared to some of my colleagues who yeah. are like, you know, self-taught at Mandarin, um, <laughs> Portuguese, which I find is like, looks like an impossible language. So 
it's all right. But actually, I think actually going back to the languages thing, I also think that's a really important part of one's development is mm-hmm. to have a second language, which is why I forced my kids to go to the French lycée when they were growing up. Yes. Because I didn't want them to have to struggle as an adult to learn a second language uh, because it's so much easier when you learn as a kid. It's like it's not even learning anymore. Yes, I, I would agree. I have done the same thing to my children <laughs> in French immersion. So yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit for people who may not know it? I know you took a bit of an unusual path, but how do you how do you get into the foreign service in Canada? So there's a few ways. Uh, there's a traditional way, and then there's a way I got in. And actually, let's call it two ways, basically. The traditional way, back in the day, uh, we used to hire cohorts of new graduates. Uh, We would do a big foreign service exam, bring in a large group, 100, 200, 300, and then people would just start at this foreign service officer trainee level and then move up the ranks. That's how the organization functioned for 50 years, so say. Um, When I started working at Foreign Affairs, it was not common uh, to do what I did, which was to move in laterally, because mostly it was homegrown organization. It was quite inward looking, despite the fact that it was a very international organization. And there wasn't a lot of room for outsiders. So I kind of sort of snuck in a sort of a side door. And that is another way if you're a public servant um is to get some kind of a secondment to get some kind of a temporary um, assignment of some sort and then try to translate that into a a, a role in foreign affairs mm-hmm. otherwise the other option is political and so there are uh even though canada's foreign service is uh not uh politicized particularly compared to the u.s but there are a small proportion of our heads of mission that are political appointments, and they could be people who are from political life or from any part of life. And uh, sometimes people get in that way. Okay. But it's pretty small. What, what appealed to you about the Foreign Service, like when you made that switch over? Um, right. Because it's, it's a very unique job. So what appealed to you? So remember, I came from jail. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everything looks better when you get out of jail. Yeah, not really, because I actually did love the jail. But I started because I started getting so far from the content of what I love so much in corrections and more into the sort of the management and leadership domain. I was kind of content agnostic at that point, which is why it was okay to change my job because I was really passionate about the management and leadership part of it. Mm. But I got to foreign affairs, and again, it was a sort of a side door because it was this little department that was little unit that was co-managed by Industry Canada and Foreign Affairs, and they were working on a very interesting mandate, which was uh, foreign direct investment. So it was called at the time Investment Partnerships Canada, and I loved it. And I realized actually that. One of the milestones of that career assignment program that I was on was to do something internationally. Mm. I always thought it would be in corrections because that was the only content that I knew. But I wasn't able to translate that fifth assignment that I was supposed to do into an international posting. So I kind of settled, I guess, in some ways for this last assignment, which was this one I just described to you. And once I saw this whole foreign direct investment and what they were doing and realized um, the scope of what you could do in an organization that was internationally focused, I was like, I'm not going back to jail. I love it. <laughs> I will do whatever it takes not to leave. And that's kind of what I did. That's a really interesting story. Thank you for, for walking us through that. What are some of the things that you're responsible for in your job right now? So as a head of mission, so that's sort of a generic name for anybody who runs a foreign mission. So as could be an ambassador, could be a consul in a small, small office, or it could be a consul general. Um, and in, out in UAE, we do have a consulate general in Dubai, and we have the embassy uh, in, in Abu Dhabi. Um, it really depends on where you are in the world, the specificity of your mandate, but it's more or less 
You're there to make sure that the bilateral relationship between your country of accreditation and Canada is doing well, that you have good political relationships, that you're partnering together in things that are meaningful to both your countries, whether it's security, whether it's uh, economics. Largely, uh, there is a, normally there is a large trade economic component. So it's what we call the trade commissioner service. Right. In my embassy as well, we have a trade commissioner service. So that's basically helping Canadian companies get their products and services into our market. And we always have a consular section. That's the section that helps Canadians that are in need. Mm-hmm. Traveling in the region, you lose your passport, you're living in the region, you need a birth certificate, that kind of stuff. So those three are pretty basic in any embassy in particular. And then you always have extra programs. So here in the UAE, we have a very large immigration program. It actually makes up 50% of our staff. Oh, wow. And then uh, sort of a regional um, center for immigration uh, from the region into Canada. And we also will co-locate. So we could be co-located with other departments, public safety, RCMP. Uh, we have RCMP in Dubai. Um, really depends on where you are in the world. CBSA also. So um, could be a province. We are actually co-located with Saskatchewan now in Dubai. Oh, interesting. So, and basically, you're the main point of contact for the country. And actually, the governor general signs a document that makes you ambassador, and I, had to get, I hope we get this right, extraordinary and plenipotentiary, <laughs> which means basically you're on the hook for anything that Canada does wrong in your country oh my goodness lots of responsibility it is it's, it's a very actual heavy heavy weight you are the person right wow so you have a really interesting job sounds very fascinating can you share a story that's a bit of a unique experience like somebody you met or something you witnessed that was just really interesting to be a part of okay well that's going to go in the book But um, (laughs) suffice it to say, I have had the opportunity to meet some of the most interesting Canadians Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, people in the world by virtue of my job. I've met um, Prime Minister Harper, I've met Prime Minister Trudeau, I've met Margaret Atwood, Michael Ondaatje, I've met Leona Boyd, I've met uh, famous actors, producers, I've met astronauts, scientists, mm-hmm. activists, regular people doing incredible things just by exposure right. to the number of people that I get to meet in the different places. Yeah, I saw uh, you, you, uh, like even just looking at your Twitter lately, like you've had the governor general come to see you and a bunch right. of the ministers have been there and we'll get into it, but you've been doing some really interesting things, um, you know, for, for women in the foreign service. So you're, you're doing lots of very exciting things. What's mm. one of the accomplishments in your career that you're most proud of? Um, there's two of them. One of them happened most recently. So I'll just talk about that. Sure. Uh, it was a successful presentation of Canada's pavilion at the Dubai Expo 2020, which just ended on March 31st. The expo was supposed to be in 2020, it got postponed to 2021, and it ran for six months, October 2021 to March 31st, 2022. It just ended. And that, I think, has been a milestone in my career, not just because I was here to deliver the program, but also because I was at the beginning and I actually secured the mandate for Canada to participate in Expo in 2018 before I went on assignment because as of 2018, Canada was not going to Expo. Mm. We had the government had made a decision not to and yes, and so we were very late to the party. We were the 178th country out of 192 to sign up. So I was there in Ottawa, I secured the money, and then I didn't lead the whole project to the end, but shepherded the project to the end, and then welcomed it to Dubai and executed all kinds of programming around it. So for me, that was 
that was a great moment of pride. And to have the governor general, as you mentioned, yeah. come in our last couple of weeks um, at the same time as my almost entire family was here, that was just like, ta-da! Yes. Okay, so what is Expo? So a World Expo is a normally a sort of a cultural, economic event uh, that has existed since uh, the 1800s. I think it was London's World Fair was the first. Um, Canada is most recognized for our Montreal Expo 1967. But basically it's a place where uh, a country hosts and where other countries and sometimes international organizations come to showcase what their country has to offer under a specific uh, thematic. And the thematic for Dubai Expo was connecting minds, creating the future. And the theme for the Canada Pavilion was the future in mind. So we tried to showcase everything we had around leveraging diversity as our strength and how we coupled that with some of the great technologies that come out of Canada and leave a, a better world uh, as a result. Oh, very interesting. So, uh, yeah, and this was the the largest world expo, probably physically in space. It was, I think, five square kilometers and had the most country participants ever wow. uh, at 192. So what it was a, huge. Yeah, what a fascinating experience. It's so it is. amazing and this was that you played such pivotal role. Yeah, and this was such an incredible expo to be part of. Like, it was, like, big and bold. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I want to tell you I was looking at uh, your Twitter and I was struck by one of the the like things that you shared which was that in 1970 a female foreign service officer had to quit her job as she got married yes yes one well not one but men probably <laughs> uh, yeah the organization didn't think that a woman could um, have a job and be married at the same time we were not capable of doing two things like that at the same time we're capable of doing a million things at the same time i know we are the best of the genders we are recognized as the best multitaskers so yeah so certainly we could do that yeah so we've come a long way baby yes uh, are there do you think are there misconceptions that exist in the foreign service around women like people I don't know. I, I think for some people, they think, oh, that that must be a challenging job if I have a family or like what what are some of the things that you would share around that kind of perspective? Right. So it is a challenging job uh, when you have a young family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so you have to be very creative in <laughs> how you execute. Uh, but just Going back uh, one step, I just wanted to mention that we in Canada actually scored number one on uh, the UAE's uh, Women Diplomacy Index as the number one country in the world for gender equity in oh, wow. its ambassadorial ranks. And they only looked at ambassadors, they didn't look at consul generals. So we right now have exactly 50% of our ambassadors are women. Oh, that just gave me chills. That makes me so yeah. proud. Yes, and I would think I was part of one of the original cohorts. I think the 2018 cohort was when we got to 50% heads of mission, uh, which was the consul generals as well. And now we're at 50% ambassadors. So that's why I'm saying we've come a long way since 1970. And I just want yes. to say that the government has made a concerted effort to achieve that milestone since 2015. And that's why we are where we are because the government wouldn't take no for an answer. There is no reason why women cannot be holding 50% of the jobs. Now, it did mean that we had to accelerate our pipeline and get more women excited about applying for jobs <laughs> yes. uh, because there is um, a sense that if you're a woman of a certain age in particular, um, well, not a certain age, if you're a, a mother of young children, um, or you have a spouse who has a fabulous job somewhere else that you won't be able to, to travel. Mm -hmm. But it's incredible how people make it work. And I think COVID has been the huge game changer in, mm. in demonstrating that we can be very mobile and we can get a lot of stuff done, uh, not being physically 
where our job is. So that means that if we are traveling with a partner who has a fabulous job, it now means that that fabulous partner and job can travel and travel yes. with you. So I think uh, that has really flattened out that big myth that used to be that you had to be very present to do your job. And so that that has really helped. The other thing I would say is, and this goes to um, my advice I would give to my younger self is, yeah. and I've changed it. So I'm going to give you the first version and then I'm going to give you the second version. Yes, the first advice that I got when I was the age of your average listeners, so women between the ages of 25 and 45, and someone told me this when I was about maybe 30, and they said, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is BS. Because you're a man, you're telling me that because you think you can have it all and have it all at the same time. That is a lie. Mm -hmm. But I learned the very hard way that is not a lie. And it's okay. Because in those years, 25 to 45, these are your best childbearing years, mm -hmm. your best earning <clears throat> years, your best attracting a mate years. Like there's a <laughs> lot in that period. Right. Women naturally take on roles that are different than men. So we are devoted daughters and sisters and mothers and wives and friends and the list goes on and I was listening to your last podcast just before this one and your interviewee said the exact same thing trying to balance all of those roles at the same time and do them all well mm -hmm. and survive I'm telling you I've not seen the person who can do it I've yeah not. it's really challenging it, you're making yeah. me think about early in my career I had um, a boss tell me, and, and this was true for me, at least. She said, you'll always be 80%. You're either 80% at work and you've got 20% of your head or, or thinking about yeah. what's going on at home or like vice versa. And as much as I was challenging to hear, it actually really allowed me to just get done what I needed to for work right. or when I was at home. And, and yes, if other things popped into my head to not actually feel guilty about it. Right. And even just changing that mindset and saying like, right. it's okay that they, you know, interlink a little bit or, or they distract each other a little bit. Um, right. And I can still do both well, not perfect, but well. And, right. and that really changed things for me. Right. Yeah. Mindset is everything also. And um, again, like you're lucky you learned that early in life. Like I had to wait till I hit the wall and literally that's what happened. I hit the wall. My kids were three and six. I was, had a job that was a 24 hour a day job. And, uh, you know, obviously newly married, new house, family obligations. And I literally hit the wall yeah. and I had a burnout. And I was on this career assignment program. So you're, you're a high flyer, you're a fast tracker and you're changing your job every single year. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. And um, I just hit the wall. And so it was only then that I was able to change the mindset to say, okay, something's got to give and I don't want it to be me again. So yes. what is it I can do different? And I actually went back to the workplace after that four days a week. Mm. And people were like, and again, this is back in the day. So yeah, you can't groundbreaking. Work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was groundbreaking. You can't work four days a week. You can't get your job done in four days a week. And, or they would say, uh, you're on the fast track. Like you're not going to make it you know, if you're working four days a week. And quite honestly, I was just so determined. And I said, you know what, first of all, I'm super uh, efficient. I probably get more done in three days than you get done in five days. Yes. And <laughs> second of all is if I don't put, like this is finally the advice that the flight attendant gives you on the airplane, like finally kicks in. Right. You gotta put your mask on first. Mm -hmm. before you can help the person beside you yes. and if I didn't put my mask on first I was going to be useless to everyone yeah I know so. when you talk about that burnout mercy like I know so many successful women who had that happen and that that was their wake-up call yeah mm -hmm. yeah 
So, yeah. So, but here's the addendum. Okay, okay. This was this hot, hot advice off my, off my printing press. Um, when you get to a certain age, you can have it all. Mm. You can have your cake. You can eat it too without guilt. You could share it with others. You could have everything. Mm. And I realized that as you grow out of your 24 hour day mommy role and you get, gain experience, uh, whether it's work experience or life experience, whether you uh, have failures, successes, um, you start to grow into your authenticity. Mm -hmm. And you start realizing also this, the, the back to the mask, put your mask on first, that you are at the core of your own life, okay. not those other people that. Well, and they're developing their own lives, right? Like they, right. yeah, you're raising children to become adults, to be independent. Right. right. And my kids, you know, thank God um, are doing great. And they're 24 and 26 and they have their own lives and they don't need me. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I need it. I don't need them. Put it this way. I don't need them as much anymore. Yes. And, um, but also those other, like, as I said, you still maintain, like you still got your sister and you still got your parents and you still got your obligations or whatever. But when you start putting yourself at the center of your own life and not sacrificing for others, then you start to be able to live your best life. And mm -hmm. I am just, I think on the precipice, not precipice, because I'm not going to fall off and kill myself, but I'm on the, you know, I'm ready to, to, to launch in that area right now. I, my, I'm just primed for that. And that's why I'm really excited about, you know, going on a new adventure because I, I just feel so, so in my element right now. I think that, that story, that advice will be so refreshing for people, Marcy, because I know for me, I, I trudged through and pushed forward to grow my career um, while my kids were young, but I have friends who have really struggled with choosing, like they couldn't do that. And I think what you're sharing gives them the hope that at some point they'll feel like they can do that more and they can still excel and do well and that that's okay. Yeah. But, you know, back to my original theory, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. Like if you want to be a, a mom mm -hmm. and you want to be really focused in your kids' lives and maybe you want to stay at home or whatever it is, then you probably are not going to want to be on a job that makes you travel a lot. Or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's not your ideal job at that point. So it's you have to be able to accept that forgive yourself for whatever it is you think you need to forgive yourself for and yes. just accept it yeah it's okay yeah that and that's the other part of that quote is it's okay to not be able to have it all at the same time it's it's not possible it's not humanly possible mm -hmm. it's just the unfortunate part and again this is changing again because our child childbearing years are getting older yes um it's unfortunate that those have typically been your best earning years. So if you're a lawyer, for example, and you have to leave the workforce, not have to, choose to leave the workforce to stay home for five years, it's that much harder to get back on partner track. Right. Or if you, you know, so certain jobs that you have, but you know what? That's life. Like, yeah. So what? So it's really about knowing that, you know, you, you can get to partner. It's just not going to be in those years, or you're going to be able to work in a, in a job that, that you travel a lot. It's just not going to be in those years. Yeah. And if you choose to, that comes at a cost and you may want to do that, but like you said, you may not you want, may to want to, to <laughs> you may want to also. And I had the great, great fortune of having a partner who actually, um, supported me in my international career and took the burden of operational family life off my shoulders so that we as a family were able to have that kind of life. Oh, that's but amazing. there's no way, there's no way I would have been able to do that on my own. 
Right. No way. Yeah. I would have had. And the beauty of that model is a parent raised children, not a nanny, not a grandmother, not a whatever. I'm not saying that those are not good options, but for me, that's what allowed me to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Was knowing, okay, maybe I'm not there all the time, mm-hmm. uh, but their father's there. So yeah, uh, I feel like yeah, I feel like part of what I'm hearing from you, which is such an important message, is that you need to decide what's best for your family, and then just own it and you don't need to be feel bad about those decisions it's whatever you need or, or want it to be and that that's okay well if I may and you're probably too young to hear this because <laughs> okay. I would have heard it you have to do what's best for you yes then your family mm-hmm. then 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 no but I think you, and that goes back to the massive analogy yeah. right like Good if you do what's best for you, then you'll be able to do what's best for everyone. Yeah. Well, lots to think about there. <laughs> Before we jump into some of those final questions, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, what it's like to, to live in the UAE. How, how have you found that posting different than, than some of the other things you've done, like being in the United States, which is quite similar, I guess, in, in culture to Canada? Right. Well, I would argue that it is a very different culture, but another story. Well, yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think, um, is the UAE yeah. more different, I guess, was my question. Well, I had less culture shock coming to the UAE than I did to Dallas, Texas. So oh, Interesting. Well, that, there you go. That speaks to one of the uh, fact versus reality. <laughs> yeah, and not, not anything about Dallas, Texas, but the thing is about the U.S., just quickly, it's not because I know you have the US listeners and I don't want them to be offended, is that we we do think of ourselves as very similar, right? We look the same, we talk the same, we're in the same time zone, we watch the same television, but at the core, we're actually very, very different. Uh, What drives us, how we raise our families, um, our values. Maternity leave, like just some basic. Yeah, maternity leave. (laughs) Which is pretty important. Yeah. Like if you think about our, yeah, anyhow, I don't want to get into that. So you're, you're surprised when you get to wherever it is you're going and you realize how different those things are because your perception was, oh, I've seen this on TV. It's going to be just fine. And right. actually it is, it is quite different. It is quite different. But what can I say? UAE, I've been blessed by being here at the most incredible time in one of the most incredible periods in history. And that is the uh, advent of the Abraham Accords and the normalization of ties between um, the UAE and Israel. Mm-hmm. Why is that so exciting for me? Mm-hmm. Because I'm Jewish. And my big international dream was to be Canada's ambassador to Israel. I told everyone that every performance review, every talent management question, every time there was time to apply for a job, I was looking for Israel. It never came up. It, the job never came up in a time when I was either ready or um, or could be considered. And it was a little discouraged mm. because I, in my mind's eyes, I said, I liked, I visualized I, that life. I, I saw it. So when I had to choose a job for 2018, I looked on the list and I was like, what, what inspires me? And I was like, there's some, I don't know anything about Dubai, but there's mm. something really calling my name about Dubai and sure enough I got here and I realized that being a Jewish Canadian female in the UAE was incredibly more powerful than being another Jewish woman in Israel because I (laughs) full body chills Marcy (laughs) Sorry, Uh, because the whole goal of why I wanted to go to Israel, I mean, as trite as it seems, is I wanted to find, I wanted to be part of peace in the Middle East. Yes. But I got to do it and I got to really be part of it in the UAE through my job. So as I said, I got to Dubai in 2018. I was the consul general. I thought this is the pinnacle of my career. 
Um, I found a Jewish community uh, soon after I got there, but it was very much in the shadows. You know, nobody would say they were Jewish. You know, we kind of, it was a kind of clandestine. The government knew about it, but it was very clandestine. Uh, three months after I got there, the Pope visited the UAE and the UAE decided in February, 2019 uh, that they were going to build the Abrahamic family house, a mosque, a church, a synagogue, all on the same campus in Abu Dhabi. And I'm like, wow, that must <laughs> be, that, that's, that's the highlight. Like, there it is. Like, that's so amazing and fascinating. And then, you know, of course, fast forward, you know, six or um, so more months and they announced the normalization of relations with Israel. By that time I'm in Abu Dhabi, I'm the ambassador and I am part of history. Mm-hmm. And I am able to talk about all the things that are so critical to my being and that I'm so passionate about on the world stage um, with a whole different audience, but achieving, I think, in some ways more than if I would have been Canada's ambassador to Israel. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And I feel pretty, pretty lucky. Yeah. Is there anything before we get into the final questions that you wanted to share around like women's lives in the UAE, things you were surprised by, anything mm-hmm. like that? So the number one question people would ask me was, what's it like being a woman in the UAE? Mm-hmm. And then it was, what's it like being a Jewish woman in the UAE? Right. So I can tell you on both counts, uh, I, was, I was afraid, I'll be honest. I thought it was a bold move for my government to send a Jewish woman to the UAE. And I thought it was an incredibly bold move for the UAE government to accept me. And to the moment I presented my credentials, I still thought they might figure it out and send me back. Like, I just didn't know. But that was all in my mind and a part of a mythology and a stereotype because, in fact, Emiratis are extremely warm and welcoming. Women, uh, empowerment and leadership is uh, one of the cornerstones of their values. And being Jewish was never a problem. And now being Jewish has actually made me popular. So it's been amazing. And I think a lot of Canadians have a stereotype that um, women are at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Like that's this, why I wanted to ask you because, uh, right. yeah. Because they paint a picture in the, of the, let's say the Middle East, let's not take Israel out, but um, in the Arab world, they have uh, perceptions of uh, what women wear, can they drive, do they have privileges, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say for the most part, well, I would say first and foremost, I think the UAE would be one of the most progressive Arab states in the world. There are um, significant female representation in their cabinet. Uh, There's probably seven of like the smartest, most brilliant working mom, female cabinet ministers in the UAE government. Women are in all parts of leading parts of society. The UAE launched a space probe to Mars. The woman who managed the space program managed a group of 80% of the group was female scientists. So women put the UAE on Mars. I love it. (laughs) Going back, you know, it's a young country going back to the founding father 50 years ago, women, were part of the values set out by Sheikh Zayed and really enjoy a, a position of, I think, in, of prestige mm-hmm. in this country and are treated uh, by their male counterparts very, and the leadership, the UAE leadership, extremely uh, respectfully. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's very interesting. It's always good to hear from someone who's living the experience uh, directly. I want to move into those final questions. I wanted to give you an opportunity before you did that. Before we started the interview, you had talked about um, a mindset uh, that had really helped you. So before we jump into those final questions, do you want to speak to that briefly? So I say it started back when I began that career assignment program because I had to make a five-year plan. And it sounds really (laughs) weird, but it actually really helped me to create a vision. 
I knew exactly what I wanted to do for the next five years. And the fifth assignment was an international assignment. So I put it in my vision. Mm. And I was actually able to make that happen. I actually manifested this, this vision. And over my career and over my life, there's been a series of major milestones that I've actually envisioned. Mm. I wanted to be a certain role. I wanted to have a certain thing. I wanted to work in a certain city. And I have a philosophy and you can see it on my Twitter profile. If you can see it, you can be it. And I've told my kids this since they could listen and understand. Mm. If you put your, and it's not just put your mind to it because it's it's not only about the mind. Mm -hmm. If you visualize yourself doing something, it helps to build the momentum for you to get to where you wanna go. So when I was applying for jobs in Dallas, remember I'd only been, I, that was my first posting. I left it early right. because I uh, became an executive and I wanted to spread my wings and I wanted to take a chance on becoming a head of mission. And my boss told me, you're too new, you're not ready, you know, you can't do this. It's not your time yet. And I was like, you know what? I can I'm doing it anyhow, regardless of what you said, but I could actually picture myself in the office. I could see what I was wearing. I could see myself communicating with the staff. I could see my stakeholders. I could see all the Canadian snowbirds. I could see it all. And, you know, I, I took a chance. I put my lottery, basically for a foreign, uh, for a head of mission assignment, it's like a lottery program. You put like in a five choices into a magic machine and it, may or may not spit out a golden ticket. I put in five choices and poof, Miami presents itself. So mm -hmm. it's I'm not so magic. proud of you, Mercy, for doing that because it, <laughs> no, but really, it, I actually know other people that work in the public service have, and that have been told people, things like that in their jobs and, and watching them kind of struggle with that. And the fact that you were like, no, I'm doing this anyway, it is not an easy thing to do. And you feel like, you're not giving the permission from your bosses to do it. And that's really hard. So I'm really proud of you for doing that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I thank you. And um, so my philosophy is, if you can see it, you can be it. And basically it's self-actualization uh, through manifestation. I just make stuff. Yeah, I've been hearing more and more about that. So thank you for, for sharing it. Because for some of us, it might be kind of the first time hearing more about that experience. I want to jump into the final questions. Is there anything else you want to add before we do that? I uh, will just say that I'm not talking about magic in case. <laughs> in case anybody's wondering. Uh, it, is a, it is magical, but there's something to be said about having a very strong vision about something that actually just mobilizes you and creates momentum to get to something and also focuses the mind. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make sure that people yes. didn't think I was casting spells. Or <laughs> yes. That. Yeah, that's good. The first question in the closing questions, which is maybe something you've already shared. So if you, if you have something different, that's okay. And if you don't, that's okay too. What is one piece of advice you want to leave with the listeners? If you can see it, you can be it. Love it. What is the best rule you ever broke? Oh, well, I you can't do it. Like someone, the, the, the multitude of times people told me you can't do it. Uh -huh. I was like, okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. Watch you'll, me you'll, Yeah, you'll be behind me. Um, exactly. What is one thing, thing that you do or use that makes your life easier? I journal. Mm. I do a lot of journaling. Mm -hmm. I use it uh, for part of this visualization that I do, I, I chart gratitude and it keeps me healthy and grounded and positive and moving. Mm -hmm. It'll give you content for your book too. Yes, exactly. And I actually realized I've been schlepping around a lot of journals. Yeah, there you go. Um, can you name another woman that inspires you? That is such a tough question because yes. 
I'm in awe of so many incredible women. Um, well, the first woman who inspires me, and it's it kind of sounds cheesy, but if my kids ever said this, I would just die on the spot. My mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my mother has been my role model, and um, so she really inspires me. But I have to say also, in addition, and because I feel like if she hadn't set the path for herself that she did, that I could model, yes. I would be where I was. But uh, I have to say Margaret Atwood is super cool. It's super so interesting cool. that you got to meet her too. I got to meet her a couple of times. I love her books. She's so funny. <laughs> She's so smart. She's so um, entertaining. Yeah. Oh, her work really inspires me think about handmaid's tale she right. wrote that yeah like it was yeah. was prescient i mean yeah. it was incredible so uh is there a podcast you're list you're loving right now women don't do that yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> another one is um when women win oh uh, write that down. Another one. and uh i don't know if rana nawas is still doing that one and uh okay sorry i'm gonna confess i love oprah yeah i love <laughs> super soul sundays yeah yeah tell us about a book that made you wiser <laughs> this is a bad choice uh but i just read i just took a leadership course uh, with my team actually it was a couple years ago and it was a required reading and it was called, it's called surrounded by idiots Ooh. And um, if you're in the working world, you should read it. Yeah, I know. As soon as you said it, I was like, I need that. <laughs> you actually quickly realize that they're not idiots, that you're actually more of an idiot than they are. But it's, there's a lot of really good lessons there that you can apply to your life as well. I gave right. it to, to one of my kids to read because oh, it's uh, fascinating. It you to understand how we're all wired very differently and mm -hmm. people do things for very special reasons and we should just understand that better. We have a lot to learn from each other. We do. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your advice and wisdom with us. Oh, thank you for having me and uh, loved it. You're a very charming interviewer and I'm really loving your podcast and I'm wishing you continued great success. Thank you so much, Marcy. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time.